It's the Morning Marketing Machine, here to grow your e-commerce business with proven marketing strategies and tactics, so you can run your business with machine-like precision. My name is Douglas Levin, let's dive in. Welcome to the Morning Marketing Machine, and have a very special guest today. So, Jesse Elder is an action philosopher, time piercer, author, mentor, speaker, entrepreneur, and all-around lover of life. That is a ton of stuff. Um, he is also the creator of Prime Light, the world's most dangerous meditation, uh, with his te teachings of self-mastery, radical self-acceptance, and inspired action. He focuses on helping people to live a self-authorized, productive, and filled life with uh, far less struggle than most believe possible. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show, Jesse. It's my pleasure, man. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, so for people that may not know, um, can you tell us a little bit about like how you got started, how you got into this? Uh, quite accidentally. <laughs> I, uh, I, when I was a kid, I started martial arts and uh, fell in love with it. And I, I was homeschooled. Um, I've never taken a test or, or been in a classroom, um, but martial arts really served a, a huge, huge role for me in, in helping me to understand the difference between ideas that sounded good and things that actually worked where it mattered, which was in the ring. And by the time I was uh, 19, 20 years old, I'd competed in dozens of these, uh, you know, typical like local martial arts tournaments. So there's a lot of rules and it's kind of like, it's like playing tag, basically. You've got all the safety equipment. And uh, when I was 20, I took a job as a bouncer of things, which is kind of strange being, you know, 6'3 and 147 pounds. But martial arts... Um, Definitely, I, I got my baptism in reality in that uh, in that experience because I all these theories, which sounded great, were mostly worthless when somebody's trying to put you in a headlock or some guy's had too much to drink and he weighs 250 pounds and he wants to take your head off. So I learned very quickly how to adapt my training so that I could uh, not just succeed, but so that I could survive in this sort of rough and tumble environment. And then the club that I was bouncing at in, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, started having these fight nights where they would literally roll out these mats on these dance floor. And it was like dollar drink specials and everybody would show up to watch two guys just beat the hell out of each other. And it was no rules, no time limit, uh, no safety equipment and no weight limit. So you've got, you know, every, you know, all size dudes in there. And, uh, and I realized that if I don't compete in this, then I, I have to stop teaching because I'm teaching people supposedly how to defend themselves. But I, for myself, I don't really know. So I entered, I uh, did, did pretty well. And I was addicted, not, not to the violent aspect of it, but simply to the, the, completely connected nature of training and results. And I very quickly realized that, you know, if something doesn't produce a favorable result in the ring where it really matters, then it's, it's dead to me. I have no interest in learning philosophy or theories that don't produce a result. And the reason I share all this story is because I began to, you know, around, around that age, 20, 21 years old, I began to question everything. I began to question spirituality and, and religion and, and relationships and nutrition and all these things that I'd been sort of learning about. But I realized that everybody who wrote a book, ran a seminar, even founded a religion, they all knew that they had the truth. And yet they were all disagreeing with each other. So I'm like, well, what's the truth then? If everybody claims to, to have a monopoly on the T word and they know the truth, well, 
how can they all disagree with each other? So I swore to myself uh, at 20 years old that I was going to stop seeking the truth, uh, stop asking what's true, and I would just only uh, give attention to what was useful. And that proved to be a, a very sustainable philosophy. And so it, it allowed me to navigate uh, very, very quickly between belief systems and paradigms and, and whole you know, ways of seeing the world without attaching a label to myself saying, you know, I am a Christian or I am a Buddhist or I am a vegan or I am a carnivore or I am a jujitsu fighter or, you know, I am married. These are, these are experiences of life that I stopped attaching myself to. And I realized, well, you know, I have a relationship, but I'm not my relationship. I have a business, but I'm not my business. And that, uh, it, it really made things go very quickly. And uh, I, I built a chain of martial arts schools by applying that same sort of philosophy of only results matter uh, to our marketing, to our sales. And we grew it up to uh, about, a, about a little over $3 million a year business, which for the martial arts business was, was significant. And uh, opened eight schools and had the proverbial four-hour work week. We had an amazing team of 53 employees. And uh, all of a sudden, I realized that I'm done. You know, this is, this is not what I, how I want to live the rest of my life. I don't really know what's next, but I know that it's not this. So I took a, a, a leap of faith, sold my schools, and, uh, and just figured I'd, I'd see what would happen. In the process of that, um, I began to pay a lot more attention to my marriage at the time, realized that my marriage was over, um, had been over for a long time. We'd been growing in different directions for, for some years. And so the marriage dissolved. And in 2013, I found, my, found myself completely starting over. The, uh, the sale of the business basically went to pay for the divorce. And so I found myself in 2013 totally starting over. And, um, and I was making a couple thousand dollars a month from uh, some coaching clients that I'd had, but I really didn't know what I was going to do. So I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity to really find out if all these philosophies that I've been thinking about and that I started applying back in you know, my fighting days, does this hold up to the real world? Can I really learn what, what people need? Can I look deeper under the hood and, and see what is really stopping people? And I, and I started with myself and I realized that I was just basically um, infected with all of these mind viruses that are actually very popular in the personal development world. You know, things like, you know, have limiting beliefs that you have to get rid of. Come to the seminar, we'll show you how. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and so, you know, with all respect, I mean, there's so many great teachers out there uh, and I've definitely learned from a lot of them, but I began to realize that, that every one of us, you, me, everybody watching this, we, we are born into this world with everything that we need. We're born with free will. We're born with an individual consciousness so that we can, uh, we can know if we listen and if we pay attention, we can know what's right for us uh, and what's not right for us. And if we can undo some of the original programming of seeking approval and trying to fit in and trying to please people, then we can really find our heart and we can find our, our own, maybe it's our soul's mission, you know, our purpose in life. And, and then find a way to make that valuable in the world, not just where it feels good, but where it actually is valuable for other people so that we can be compensated uh, and, and receive a fair and equal exchange of value, which, you know, in, in our current time in history, looks like money, looks like, um, you know, maybe building an audience or developing a list and developing this great network of friends. 
And so since 2013, that's what I've been doing is, is uh, mostly online, but a lot of, a lot of uh, one-on-one work and have had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And especially in the e-com space. I mean, if, if I've often said over and over that if I were to, to start again in 2013, I would 100% have started an e-com because I've never seen an opportunity that allows somebody to grow uh, their income, to truly make a difference by giving people what they're looking for while protecting your time freedom. And I have many, many friends in this space. Uh, Ryan Moran is a great friend of mine. Uh, Alex Hudetan in Romania is like, he's, he's one of my, my soul brothers. Uh, and I can go on and on. I, I have a lot of friends uh, and I'm a huge fan of the, of the space. So that's it in a nutshell, Douglas. That's kind of where, uh, what, what leads us to here. Okay. Um, there's, so there's a lot there. Um, so I want to kind of unpack some, some of that a little bit more. So um, uh, obviously we're talking about um, the divorce and that's obviously one of the things that but so, I mean, like I've been divorced as well. And I, I remember um, like basically the sense of hopelessness that goes on at that point in time. Like you, like, um, I, I, like you, you brought up a few different things there when you're kind of talking about a little bit of your backstory um, uh, and how you've been able to do things that honestly, a lot of other people would have just given up on. Like, so like, like at that point, when you, when you're going through that, um, like I can only re- remember how it was like for me, but like, like, uh, how do you get past something like that and, and get to the point where, where you're looking at it as an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, in, in the, in the depths of that, of that uncertainty, you know, is when I, when I moved out of the house that I'd lived in for 10 years, um, got this little apartment, you know, realized that, wow, I am actually alone. Like this is, this is really confronting. Um, and I just, I personally, I just gave myself permission to feel whatever I was going to feel and not judge it, you know, not, not sedate it, not try and stuff the feeling down, um, but also not, not to over dramatize it, you know, and not to get into a whole big story just to, you know, be more righteous or whatever. I was like, Hey, I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling afraid and just give myself permission. One weird thing that I did, which I, I didn't uh, realize how powerful it was until a couple of years later is um, as I was moving, you know, all this stuff out of my house. Um, honestly, I was actually getting it off the front lawn where my, my ex had put everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I'm, I'm retrieving everything, I found some old photo books from when I was a kid. And, you know, that's something my, you know, my parents, my mom did a great job of just, you know, saving all this stuff. And so I remember being in my apartment, I, I didn't have any furniture, I uh, really didn't have any money. So I, I was like sleeping on the floor. But I took these, these uh, old photos of when I was a kid and I just put them all over the countertop. And something about that, it, 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 it felt meaningful. You know, it felt meaningful to, to kind of think back to who that kid was and to somehow maintain a connection with that, that like original soul energy. You know, we all have it when we're born. We're this blank slate. We've got our own individual purpose and, and, and soul signature that again gets covered up. And I found that by having those old pictures, uh, it really kept me connected to my heart and, and helped me to realize and, and helped me to remember that, hey man, you're just having a, a fantastically human experience right now. This is not right or wrong. It's just an experience. What do you want to make out of it? And the, the, that pain of separation, the pain, you know, the guilt and fear and, and the doubt and all of that, served as a very powerful catalyst to make me pay attention to who I wanted to become. You know, who did, who did I 
who did I want to be? Who, who was I here to be? And so that pain is, is so powerful and it's temporary. You know, it doesn't last. Um, and you don't even have to suffer. You can experience pain without suffering if you can just acknowledge that, hey, I'm having a sensation right now. I feel in my solar plexus. I've been taught that it's called fear or grief, but beyond the label of that, it's just energy swirling around. And uh, through meditation and through journaling and, and through a lot, of, um, a lot of solitude and just letting myself process it, man, it, it popped pretty quickly. I mean, it was a period of a couple of weeks where uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't that fun. But afterwards, I just started to realize, well, shoot, man, I'm totally free. Like, I can do whatever I want, including find whatever I can do to, to make money in a way that's meaningful, um, that isn't bound by the, the um, expectations of the past and everything else. So. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, and obviously you're talking a little bit in your explanation there about like, like how those pictures from like your childhood kind of played a big part. So like, is that what you keep looking back at this point when you look like um, you were talking obviously about the sense of purpose and that's something that I, I know like has helped me a lot in terms of like knowing, understanding what your purpose is and, and how that drives you is, is that picture, what does it for you? Is it change over time for you? Like what helps with that for you? That's a, that's a great question. I, I, um, it's not always the same thing, you know, it's not always the same going back to those pictures or, or whatever. Um, I've come to, to have, again, because of this, this philosophy of just testing, you know, what's, what's useful, what's useful, what's useful. And a couple of years ago, I had some experiences around this concept of linear time. And I started to believe and started to experience that it's all happening right now. And, and that's not a radical notion. I mean, this has been talked about in many, many places. But that past version of ourselves, that child, and, and perhaps these future versions of ourself, you know, who, who we are going to be down the road from, from this perspective, that future uh, is every bit as real from that version uh, of you. That version of you is living a present moment and thinking back to now, that's a memory for that future version. We might experience it as imagination, but I began to realize, well, shit, what if it's the same thought? What if I'm imagining something, but I'm actually catching the memory of my future self? And I thought, okay, well, shoot, let me just get into this. So I began to really understand meditation a little bit differently. When you calm down your, your, uh, your beta waves, which are these high, you know, problem-solving, sort of stressed-out brain waves that most of us live in, when you calm those and find the alpha wave and then eventually this alpha-theta border, uh, you, you really aren't limited by linear time anymore. And you can glimpse your future with the same clarity that you and I are having this conversation. And I began to mine my future for those nuggets and distinctions and visions, and then just proceed fearlessly because I knew it was already done. So um, that, that's been a, a central part of, of my approach for the last couple of years. Can, can you go into that a little bit more? Like, like, um, um, I, I've heard of that idea in the past. Like, I think it was psycho cybernetics. It was the first time I had come up. I had heard that thought process and, and, and the idea that honestly, like, like the affirmations that happen, um, visualization, it ultimately can lead you to get to where you want to be. Like, so, so um, this is the first time though, I think I've heard exactly the way you're, you're stating it. Can you kind of go into a little bit more in terms of how that process would work um, for, for like people that are wanting to, to kind of take it a little step further? Absolutely. Uh, the first part is, is not to look at it as, um, you know, a science and, and to try and get all the proof so that then you can, can feel confident moving forward. Science doesn't have the, the, uh, the tools to confirm this. 
And all that we have is our own individual experience. So I'm not claiming to teach the truth or speak the truth or, you know, say this is how it is. All I'm sharing is a, a not a prescription for what someone should do if they're listening to this. Um, but this is just a description of what I found immensely useful in my own life. And I have enough evidence in my life now to prove uh, that it works, but this is an individual journey. So if anybody's watching this, you know, I, I'm sure there'd be comments. So like, that's not how it is. I'm like, not for you. <laughs> so, uh, and I respect everybody's right to believe whatever they want to believe. Um, that being said, there's a, a phenomenon in music and art where, you know, we enter this space of flow and any great painter, musician, um, Dave Grohl with the Foo Fighters, one of my you know, favorite musicians, he had this great quote. He said that, you know, anybody that says they wrote the song doesn't know what the, they're talking about. <laughs> you didn't write anything. Like you were there when the song happened, but man, it's, it's just coming to you. And uh, as a musician, I've had that experience many times of, you know, just kind of playing all of a sudden you hear this song in your mind and next thing you know, it's out on the, on the keyboard. And I began to wonder, well, where does, where does that song come from? You know, I, it, it bears no resemblance to anything that I might have uh, been influenced by. It just was this piece of music that showed up and anybody who's ever had that experience, either in music and art, sometimes you find yourself in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden these words just start to flow and you're like, Whoa, where's this coming from? And well, where do those ideas exist? If we look at this very verifiable uh, understanding of matter, and there are four states of matter as, as we understand them, there's solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. So if you take a, you know, an ice cube, which is a solid uh, form of matter, and all of a sudden it starts to vibrate a little bit faster, those molecules start to move quicker, it becomes water. And so it's still a physical object, but it's just a very different state. But if you keep vibrating those molecules faster and faster, then it becomes gas, it becomes steam. And if you vibrate that faster and faster, it becomes plasma, which we don't have too much experience in, in this uh, world, but it is the fourth state of matter. And yet there are non-physical, very provable, verifiable phenomenon non-physically. Right now, we're having this conversation and through this miracle of technology, you can be there, I can be here, uh, and we're hearing sound, we're seeing light, which is actually being also transmitted wirelessly through satellites. So those satellite signal is not physical, but it's 100% real. These sound waves are not physical and they're 100% real. This, these, this light that's you know, bouncing off of an object and, and our optic nerves are turning it into this image in our brain. Once it reaches our eyes, it becomes a physical phenomenon. But prior to that, it's non-physical and yet completely verifiable, totally provable. So then what happens if sound and light and satellite signals and, and radio waves are all vibrating along a spectrum? Well, who's to say where, where is the end of that spectrum? If we keep measuring further and further up the spectrum, at some point we run out of measurement uh, capability. But does that mean that, that reality runs out? Or are we just like, you know, miners in a cave, you know, with, with flashlights that only go so far into the dark and all of a sudden we invent a flashlight that shines a little further. It's not like we invented the new thing that we now see. We're just discovering more of what's already there. So with all that being said, um, to me, it makes sense that if we keep going up the vibrational scale, that we reach thought, because thought is an energy. 
Um, you can, there, there are tools now that can measure thought. You can start to see uh, intensity of thought, uh, emotion, all these things that are measured. So what if, much like the song that is, is available, but you got to be open to receiving the song and then translating it through a keyboard, just like the image that a painter would paint, that image is there, but they access it and then they turn it into, into art. Um, why not thought existing at a level that our brains, which, which um, may be not just physical containers of memory and thought, but what if our brains are actually able to transmit and receive thought? We don't know that that's not possible. So if that's the case, then what if all these thoughts already exist? They're just existing outside of this construct of linear time that we move through. So when we remember something, what if that thought already exists? We're just tapping into it through our focus. And now we get the memory of being six years old or 10 years old or 18 or whatever it is. But what if that six-year-old self, 10-year-old self, 18-year-old self all occupy their reality parallel to this one and are imagining what would it be like to be a man? And they're imagining that. What if that, their imagination from the past and our memory from the present, what if that's the same, like the same musical note? You know, if, if, I'm, if I get on my keyboard and I start playing a song, you'll be able to hear it in your room there. And if you got on the on the bongos or on the cajon and started banging out a rhythm, well, it would be taking place in your room, but I'd be able to hear it here. And so the frequency of sound would, would be experienced in both rooms simultaneously. So what if present moment reality is like a room and our future self is also a room and we're playing the same note. We're tapping into that, that uh, imagination. And I've, I've in my own life have certainly gotten enough, abstract non-linear inspiration where i was like where the where did that come from but it just felt so real and i've tested that and decided to go with it and it's resulted in, in uh what might look like miracles in my life except it makes sense because i you know a couple months ago i got this idea to buy some property now i have a, i mean i love my apartment here i've got this this great view of downtown austin and i got my dog clacking around over there i got a great life I'm, i don't want to change it but this idea popped in so strong to get some property next thing you know i find myself on this piece of property beautiful 20 acres pine trees all this stuff dude i didn't have the money for it i wasn't like planning this investment but it was such a visceral yes that i was like all right i'll make an offer so i made an offer on it next thing you know I start getting ideas about, oh, I can create this program. And then somebody hits me up for private clients and all this kind of stuff. Next thing you know, I've got the money. It's a done deal. No finance, or no credit check, no uh, background check, no, no finances. We did it on a handshake. That's not supposed to be possible. But you know, we all have evidence in our own life of following that inspiration. My, my theory is, what if that inspiration is your future self going, hey, go this way? <laughs> That's really cool. I, I, and I've never heard of it talked about that way before. Um, so, so obviously you were, t you were talking right then about the idea, like, like it just kind of came to you in terms of getting the, like the property. So, so what usually like, um, trying to think of the best way to put it, but um, uh, one of the things I had heard before is like the idea that to say yes to one thing, you've got to say no to everything else and you've got to, and you really have to prioritize the important things in your life and just focus on those. So what goes into your decision at that point? 
obviously with the property and then in general when yes. you're looking at all right well okay yeah i've got five i've got five million other things to do or or whatever it is but i think this is going to be the thing that i really need to focus on i'm going to say no to everything else now like yes. what goes yeah. into that? that's a man that's, that's an awesome question uh I, I, this is actually a central part of the work a lot of the work that i do with with people is prioritizing those frequencies and those feelings um, the world teaches us this sort of backwards algorithm if this then that you know if i have that then i'll be happy if i make the money then i'll be successful if i have this perfect lover then i'll feel loved and th those things are all wonderful but my again my experience and my theory is that those are byproducts of being in the frequency versus causes of those feelings and so it really is reversing causality if we can find ourselves and know ourselves as the source of our feelings and then prioritize our feelings, the means for the perpetuation of those feelings, the money, the sex, the freedom, all those things, the connection, the, the adventure will start to match what's already going on inside. And that's when I believe somebody's truly free is when they know themselves as the originator of their experience. Uh, perhaps you know partnering with something that we can't describe which you know people fight over and call god by, by different names maybe it's that maybe it's the flying spaghetti monster maybe it's a simulation whatever works you know whatever somebody believes so prioritizing is less about prioritizing the project more about prioritizing the feeling and making joy uh, appreciation uh, making making that feeling of of rightness which is unique to each person making that the most important thing in their life. And when that starts to dim and to diminish and to go away, because we're putting our attention on something else, to stop and to withdraw our attention from whatever else we thought was more important and find that feeling again. And this can be done on the fly. You know, you can be sitting, writing copy, get out of alignment, all of a sudden remind yourself a few things, get right back in, like, oh, and then keep writing copy. So it's not like you have to stop doing the thing. Um, but always following that inner beacon, that inner signal. It's like this always on GPS. It's always telling us eh, here, here, a little further, a little closer. And if we follow that signal of joy, then you really become invincible. I mean, you become, you get, you know yourself constantly every moment of every day as the creator of your experience. Nothing can come into your experience unless you've invited it through your attention and you become uh, pretty militant about guarding your attention and not granting something your attention which doesn't qualify, which means developing a very powerful strategic ignorance to be completely intelligently ignorant of anything that doesn't qualify for your attention, anything that doesn't resonate in that uh, vibration of joy. Yeah, and, and that's something I, th I think I've seen, like as I've talked to more and more like highly successful business owners, like that's the one thing that I, well, there's a bunch of things I see in common, but that's one of the things too, is the idea that really like drawn everything out. It's really, I have to focus my attention on what really matters. Yep. And then at, at that point, like, like stepping away from the things that, that aren't really worth my attention at that point. Yep. Yes. Well, and if you think about it, like anybody that's ever, you know, had this experience that as humans, we call being in love, you know, and you've had that moment of just connecting with somebody, you got that. It's like, you're in your own reality with that person like time disappears, nothing else matters, and it's just you and them. In that moment, it's not like you have to discipline yourself to like, you know, be with that person. You find yourself like ignoring everything else. You don't even want to go to work. You know, I have many friends of mine that, you know, have had, had babies. And, you know, these are like the most hard charging, 
entrepreneurs you can imagine. And then their kid is born and they're just like, all I want to do is hold him. All I want to do is just look at him, you know, and there's that shift in priority. So it's not like there's discipline involved in doing the thing you're drawn to do and called to do. There, there's no discipline there at all. And it would take effort to pull yourself away from that thing. And that's, that's what I'm, what I'm sharing and, and what I live by is if it, if it doesn't resonate with that absolute magnetic attraction where you don't want to do anything else except that, then it doesn't exist. I, I personally don't give my attention or time to anything that's not a 100% can't fucking wait to do it. Uh, it's either that feeling or nothing. And I'm fine with nothing. I'm fine just sitting around and meditating and writing and, and chilling out. But then when that feeling comes, you jump on it. And next thing you know, you know, you, you had a record month, you had a record quarter, your, your body's healing from whatever shit you were creating before. Uh, you've got this abundant social life where, you know, for months or weeks you were by yourself. All of those external indicators always are preceded by an adjustment to our, to our own feelings and our own frequency. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, and, and related to some of this as well, one of the things I want to ask, and this is something that I know I've dealt with a lot over the last few weeks myself, and I know it's something that a lot of people deal with. Um, like, like we're pretty much taught that you have to grind. You have to always like get through whatever the issue is that's going on. Right. But it's, it's not always going to happen. There's going to be there. Like, it's just us as humans. There's going to be that lapse in motivation. And you're trying to figure out at that point, like, what am I going to do to get over this? Because I've got a project that I got to get done. I've got whatever it is that, that I'm trying to do as a business owner. I can't just, like stop or or whatever the the issue is like when those situations are happening whether it's you're in a funk or um you're trying to overcome an obstacle that you just can't get past like what is it that helps you in that situation to kind of uh, get past it yeah um i'll do the best i can to answer that i i never get in those situations oh you don't okay <laughs> i i don't i don't go anywhere near them <laughs> <laughs> all right I used like I remember what it was like. I, you know, I can probably tap into that memory of, of being in the middle of the grind and, you know, I've got eight classes to teach all day, martial arts on my feet, sweating, putting out all this energy when really I just want to take a break, but I can't, I got these classes. So I, I know what that's like, but I also recognize that that experience is the compound effect of many choices leading up to that moment. And in that moment of, of pain and, and of stress and overwhelm, that's a perfect opportunity to begin to make some new choices. And first, first and foremost, taking responsibility for our creation of that. It's not the vendor, it's not the, it's not the factory in China, it's not your buyer, it's not, it's not AWS, it's, not, it's none of that. It's not the outside stuff at all that's creating this feeling of stress and overwhelm. We're creating those feelings of stress and overwhelm. And so the first thing that somebody can do if they're in the middle of a whole bunch of commitments, yes, you can just say, hey, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take three days and, and reset and uh, I'll be back stronger than ever. And everybody around you can have their own experience around that. That's one thing. Uh, another thing you can do is just begin to incorporate self-care practices. Self-care gets a bad rap many times. You know, it's like seen as lazy or whatever, but the, the most effective, productive peak performers on the planet don't treat rest and, and rejuvenation and free time and, and vacation. They don't treat that like a reward the way that the working class does. Peak performers treat self-care and, and 
keeping themselves mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, keeping themselves in shape. They, uh, the peak, peak performers treat that self-care as a prerequisite. So, you know, Tiger Woods, when he came on the scene and he was cranking out all these wins, he, he played less golf than anybody else. He was more rehearsed, more practiced, more trained, more rested, more focused than anybody. And he went out and won everything in sight. And so, you know, we, we can take a page out of, out of his book back then that if we're in the middle of stress and overwhelm, there are simple things that we can do to get back to that center, back to that confidence, back to that core, back to remembering your vision, remembering your mission and, and why you decided to do all these things in the first place. So meditating, breathing, hydrating, going for walks, working out, spending time talking about the things that might be bugging you with people who can hold space. Um, you know, it blows my mind that, that somebody wants to build a seven or eight or, or even nine figure business, but doesn't have a, a council of advisors to support them. You know, they're just like out there by themselves doing it, doing it, doing it. I'm like, dude, you need at least like six coaches, man. You got to have somebody for your head. You got to have somebody for your heart, somebody for your body, somebody for your money, somebody for your relationships. You're going to have an assistant to handle all the, the stuff that you don't want to handle that they would love to. Like you need that in order to have clear air so you can keep, stay connected to your vision. And it just blows my mind how people will, you know, crank out sales and not reinvest that back into the number one asset, which is them. But, you know, some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's kind of been like pushed on us as, a, as like a, a business owner that the only good way to do it is, well, you have, got, you have to grind 20 hours a day and, yes. and, and sleep is a weakness. And, uh, um, and, it, and I just, it is a very lonely game in terms of like when you're, when you're um, a business owner and you're, you're primarily online all the time. Um, but, but I mean, that, that is one of the things as I've gotten into this more and more, same thing as you're talking about, like, like the idea of, of sleep as, as a big deal, as, as like the more books you read, you unlike elite athletes. And just like you were talking about, I mean, that's, that's something that is honestly neglected by a lot of people at this point. Uh, and, and like, that seems to be a way to kind of get the leg up. Um, yeah, it's, it's a superpower. Uh, deep sleep is a superpower. I, I came out with a program on sleep, uh, about, two years ago and we still get reviews from people who are like, I can't believe this, this like changed my life. It's like, well, that's what you're born to do, man. You're born to get good sleep. So yeah, there's, there's uh, it's, it's cool to see it coming back. You know, it's cool to see people who are more in tune with natural rhythms and leveraging technology to make themselves more effective rather than acting like a machine themselves, which is stupid. We're not going to, we're not going to out machine the machines. We're supposed to use the machines so we can be more human. <laughs> so so the one of the things that that um obviously we we're talking at the very beginning is that you're you're the creator of what the world's most dangerous meditation and we, we haven't really talked yet about like like meditation or morning routines or anything like that can, can you go into a little bit about um uh the world's most dangerous meditation because i'm very interested to kind of learn more about that part sure, of it. sure. well the, the reason the reason why uh, i called it that is uh you know it gets attention but if you dig deeper you realize how dangerous to the status quo, a fully self-authorized, truly sovereign individual really is. Because all these power structures of manipulation and I mean, God, we're seeing it now more than ever, you know, we're seeing all this manipulation and you should be afraid and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, maybe there are things to, to be 
focused on and, and to be aware of, that doesn't mean you need to give in to panic, especially if someone else is telling you to panic who's not qualified. <laughs> so the status quo for thousands of years has always been about um, building this class of people who just follow along, follow the rules, follow the orders. And as people have evolved and become more powerful and more capable and more free, they're less and less able to be controlled through like bullying and physical violence and all the stuff that humanity's used. So all that's really left, which is actually the most, the most powerful thing, is to manipulate someone's mind. And so, you know, people are very easy to, to uh, manipulate. We all are. You know, we're, we're all taught that if you can, you know, make enough money, for example, then you'll be worthy. Women are, are taught, you know, if you can just be sexy enough and look the right way, then you'll be attractive to men. And oh my God, it's so horrible. The amount of brainwashing that goes into everything from our self-image to our bodies, to our lifestyle, all this kind of stuff. But that's taught to us. It's modeled to us. It's, it, we're conditioned to believe all these things. And so the, it's, it becomes very dangerous to those establishments, whether it's you know, pharmaceutical companies convincing you through these dramatic commercials that you know, if you just have their pill, everything will be better, or a religion which may have had good intentions in the beginning, but quickly became this conglomerate of, of manipulation where you, know, you, you can't talk to God, I'll talk to him for you. And he's definitely a man, no, no question, God's a man. And, and we're gonna, we'll talk to him for you. You, you, you. you can't talk to him, we'll talk to him. These establishments are terrified of the individual who will say, not interested, just not interested. I, I got my own connection to God. I got my connection to health. I got my connection to wealth. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live it. Thank you very much. That line of thinking is incredibly threatening to what I would call the powers that were. They're not even the powers that be anymore. They know they don't have any power uh, unless somebody is afraid of them or gives them power. So, you know, politicians, they don't have power. They control our power. Politicians don't create value. They um, manipulate the value that we're creating. <laughs> so they're all terrified. So hence the world's most dangerous meditation because you do this 20 minutes, uh, your brain waves harmonize, you feel uh, deep rejuvenation, you feel completely connected. Uh, powerful healing starts to happen. People get that mainline access to their intuition again. Their intuition becomes tactical and usable where they get a, an idea, but then they have the energy to implement that idea fearlessly. That's our natural state, and that's what this meditation does. Um, people can find it on Spotify um, or, or iTunes. Uh, just look up, I've got a podcast just called Jesse, or they can look up Prime Light Meditation. And it's a quick guided meditation, but you learn to do it pretty quickly for yourself. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So, so, so for someone that's like, all right, I'm a newbie. Like, as I get, I get this question all the time. Like, people are like, all right, I don't know what to do in terms of meditation. I keep hearing right. right? That's the best thing. Yeah. Because and that their misconception is that the, that there's things you're supposed to do, and mm -hmm. if you don't do them right, then you're not meditating right. That's bullshit. It's <laughs> not how it works at all. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically just uh, being very very still for five minutes. Don't move, and and most people don't. Most people completely underestimate the power of being still, because when you're still, your brain, which is your body, follows your nervous system. And so if you're absolutely motionless, 
not even wiggling a finger, not even <clears throat> clearing your throat, not even you know, stretching your back, because every one of those micro movements creates new, brain, new feedback to your brain and your brain stays in this beta wave, which is this sort of stressed out state. So people will lay down to meditate or sit and meditate, but then they'll like, you know, stretch their back and then they'll, then they'll keep meditating and then they'll, you know, do this and they'll keep meditating. Then they'll scratch their itch and then they'll keep meditating, not realizing that every one of those movements is starting the clock again at zero. <laughs> and so you need a, a few minutes, five to 10 minutes of uninterrupted, absolute stillness. Just breathe. No, no special weird type of breathing. You don't need to like count or talk or anything. Just, just breathe. Don't move, keep your eyes closed and breathe. Do that for five to 10 minutes and you will feel yourself hit what, uh, what we call the alpha drop, where you just enter into this natural space. And from there, then you can begin to explore and feel some really cool things. The weird part, it's right next to us. It's just on the other side of five to 10 minutes of stillness, silence and solitude. And, uh, and yet that's too much for a lot of people. You know, they're like five minutes, that's forever. I want it now. I'm like. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so, so, so um, I know like meditation is part of my daily routine as well. And, and so can you take us through like, um, I was like, like uh, it's meditation. We're talking about affirmations, visualization, like what um, my, my take is usually like that helps me get into a better state to start my work day and, and really focus. Like what helps you? Is it meditation? Is it other things as well that help for your morning routine? Meditation is a, a big part of it. Um, yeah usually I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wake up and before I even open my eyes, I'm awake for about an hour. So I just stay awake for, for 45 minutes or so uh, with my eyes closed, but fully awake in this very uh, in-between, very lucid, but very data-rich um, space. And so massive, massive amounts of information and, and energy, a lot of emotion, a lot of appreciation, a lot of anticipation. And I will, um, one, of, one of the people I've learned a lot from is uh, that dude, Nikola Tesla. And he would, uh, you know, enter this space and just be there for hours. And that's where he would build his inventions. And he would, in this, that's the original virtual reality. You know, he would be in this space, not limited by time and physics and everything. And he would just see things the way he wanted it to be. Then he would come out of it and go to work and build it. And, uh, and I've, I've learned to do the same thing conceptually um, with my work, with ideas, with relationships, to spend that morning time really, uh, it's, it's like coding your reality, basically. You're coding it when you're in that in-between space. And then you come out and then you just enjoy the things that you've already created. So I'll respond to messages. I'll, I'll do some reading I'll do some writing, have a cup of coffee on the balcony, take Cairo, my German shepherd, and take him for a walk. And then the day will hit. And by the time, you know, the day hits, like this is my first um, interview work of the day. By the time the day hits, man, you're just like, you're, you're in the zone man. you're, you're, you just, it can't be anything but awesome. Cause that's all you've, you've, intended <laughs> and then the day will flow and and uh I, I like to work about 20 hours a week and um and it leaves lots of time for cool activities you know for going on dates or going to dinner or going for a bike ride or going for a motorcycle ride and you know just just following this flow while making uh progress every day toward these visions that keep popping in and i never intend to run out of visions therefore every day every morning especially there's just no stress. 
You know, there's no, there's no hurry to get things done because it's never going to be done. It's always going to be now and next, now and next, now and next. Yeah, and, and what you just said there is one of the key points that I think a lot of people really struggle with. They always, like, I know it's something I even struggle sometimes, like the idea of like, oh, well, I've got my list of things I have to get done or I'm planning on my week or any of that stuff. And then you're like trying to make your th way through and there's always going to be more things to do. So just acknowledge always. that, right? Always. And, and I, I personally, I, I don't put things on my list that I have to do. If there's a have to energy, like I, I would just delegate it or delete it or give them a refund or whatever. It's like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into that. Um, what I do love is, is I love co-creating. You know, like, like this interview, uh, neither one of us knew what was going to happen, but I feel confident that, that I'm going to answer whatever you're going to ask. And I feel confident you're going to ask badass questions. So, you know, then it just comes down to this, you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> really cool. And I, I like this approach too. I, I mean, it's honestly not something you see from a lot of businesses at, at that point, at this point, they're, they're very regimented about, about like, obviously at their mind and it's got to be this way and focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most, most people are, are completely handicapped by a classroom education, sadly. Um, you know, you, you, you learn to follow the bell. You learn that nothing that you're really interested in matters. What somebody else is interested in you being interested in, that's what matters. And so people learn to make these arbitrary bullshit lists of things that actually have no connection to one another. And um, it's, I have massive respect for anybody that survived the uh, terrible disease of a classroom education uh, and is still able to make themselves successful in the world. I would just say, you know, take six months off, free from any sort of structure, wake up every day, just ask yourself, what do I want to do today? And unless it fires joy in your heart, don't do it. And maybe you can't do six months, but maybe you can do three days. Mm -hmm. Might be worth it. It will, it will very quickly break people out of the condition response of list making and, and all this kind of stuff. If I have to do this, because all of that is just, you think you'll feel better when you complete the list. But if you don't feel better making the list and feel better while you're doing the things, how the hell are you going to feel better after practicing not feeling good for all this time? You might feel relief, like, oh. <laughs> Oh, it's done. But that's like punching yourself in the face over and over because it feels good when you finally stop. Like, why would you even start doing that? Right. It, and, and this gets back to your idea, of like the vision um, from way earlier when we we're talking about too. Like, like it's the thing that I think most people don't think about is like when you're working, the whole point of, of you creating your business or whatever it was is because you had a vision of what you wanted your life to be like. Yes. And, and if that's not the vision that you're, you're honestly like, doing like having every day then when do you think that's going to happen like when you're 80 and you're done oh yeah it's okay. magically going to be better totally totally yeah and if it's not your unique vision it's somebody else's somebody <laughs> else shown you a vision you know like gary v god bless him and we've we've talked on the same stage and we've hung out in the green room and and he's a genuine dude like i, I have respect for gary v um and no way would i trade <laughs> a minute of his life for for a week of mine, you know, there's, there's no way, but he's authentically being who he thinks he should be. And has also demonstrated to a lot of people that this is the way what people are attracted to is not making 60 pieces of content a day. What they're attracted to is his certainty. They're attracted to his confidence. And so when people learn to generate that certainty on their own and that confidence on their own, then maybe you go, maybe you don't create content. Maybe you don't even have a Facebook account. Maybe you just live life the way you want to live. So people are attracted to certainty. But that doesn't always mean that that's the right thing for, for them. That's great, great. And um, uh, obviously I want to be very respectful of your time, but um, one question I did want to ask, and this is something that 
Um, I was on um, uh, it was Mason's um, podcast, and he he asked this question. I thought it was a great question, so I've pretty much been asking it ever since. So, like, um, what is your definition of success? Hmm. Um, that's good. I haven't been asked that in a while. I, I believe it is. It is a present moment experience, um, not a future-based one or, or a past-based one that we're trying to recreate. Um, when there is a a peaceful acceptance of of who I am, knowing that in that beingness, that who I am being right now includes desires that are unfulfilled, which compel me and being at peace with the unfulfillment of those desires because they provide such a delightful energy of, of attraction and expansion. If I can balance those, being at peace with where I am, being appreciative of where I am while hungry and eagerly anticipating more, that, that's to me, that's a pretty good symphony and, and I would call that success. Oh, that's a that's a great answer. I love that. Um, so I, I wanted to thank you so much, uh, Jesse, uh, for coming on today and, and sharing your story, your expert insight. Uh, it was so great talking to you. Um, I want to ask you, um, how can our listeners find out more about what you're doing? Sure. Uh, Facebook is a good place. Instagram is a good place. Uh, I always, you know, I'm sharing posts and let everybody know what the latest stuff is. Um, Facebook, just look up Jesse Elder or uh, facebook.com forward slash time piercer. And on Instagram, it's uh, Jesse Elder Live. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you. And we'll have, we'll have all those uh, links as well in the show notes. Um, so uh, thank you everyone. Thank you, Jesse, for, for, uh, uh, for coming on today and talk to you guys next time on Morning Marketing Machine. All right. Thanks guys.